0: So good to be the host of the Lord this Easter Sunday. Welcome those of you who are visiting for the first time. Uh, I want to just introduce a very special person. I feel safe doing this. There's some people you know that you just can't embarrass, right? And so I just want to say a very special welcome to my dear new friend, Giselle. Bless you, Giselle. And she has uh, brought her lovely daughter. (laughs) There you go. Cathy, with her as well. I met Giselle on an airplane a few weeks ago, coming back from Toronto. And we had a wonderful conversation, had a chance to pray together, and I said, you have got to come, see, your daughter Listen to the app, so I said, you've got to come visit sometime when you're in the city, and uh, she did that, she messaged me a, a few days ago and said, we're coming to Moncton, we're going to come hear you preach. <laughs> Whew, no pressure. <laughs> so I'm going to, je vais faire mon mieux, going to do the best I can, Amen. So good to have you, friends and family, good to, be with, uh, good to have you with us here at Glad Tidings. Trust, you sense the presence of the Lord, the freedom of the Lord. It's Resurrection Sunday. One of the things I'm thankful for the Lord about is every Sunday at Glad Tidings is Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Amen. Every Sunday, the Spirit of the Lord is here, and He's here to set people free, and He's here to bring us into a deeper relationship with Him. You know, some of you may not be aware, but 23 years ago, there was a very special man who passed away in the month of April. His name was Larry Laprise. Now, many people may not know the name, but you know the song he wrote. He wrote the song, The Hokey Pokey. <laughs> Anybody remember The Hokey Pokey? Well, it was a very difficult time for the family when, this, when Leary passed away. But his burial was extra traumatic. They had a very difficult time getting him into the casket. You see, they put his left leg in. <laughs> and it just kind of went sideways from there. So... Um, It's a very special time of the year our scripture this morning is john chapter 14 john chapter 14 we're going to have the scriptures on the on the screen for you but uh john chapter 14 traditionally is a scripture that when we read we think that jesus is talking about his second coming which is still one day future jesus came the first time 2000 years ago but we know he's going to come again and so when we read this particular portion of scripture a lot of us think that it's about his second coming In fact, many of us, I've done it myself, have used the Scripture at at times like funerals and times we talk about the Lord coming again. But we're going to see this morning that actually what Jesus was referring to in this Scripture was what He had accomplished that first Easter Sunday, what that first Resurrection Sunday was really all about. And so John 14 begins with these simple words. You may remember them well. Jesus said to His disciples before He left, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, the reason Jesus had said that to them is because if you read in the previous chapters, Jesus had actually had some other conversations with them. For example, Jesus had told them that he was going to go away. He also told them at one time that he was going to die. He told them that one of them of the 12 would be a traitor. He even said to Peter that you are going to deny me three times. And all of them, Jesus said, all of you when this happens, You're going to fall away. You're going to run away from me and leave me alone. And so this accumulative weight of all these revelations of things that Jesus had told them, as you can well imagine, it was kind of beginning to weigh down on them. And Jesus knew that, especially as the events were going to unfold, that the disciples weren't aware of yet, but Jesus knew full well what was going to happen. So he says to them again, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, it's easy to see that when we read that, that you can think, well, he must be talking about his second coming. But actually, he's not. He's talking about the resurrection. Some of us may have older translations of the Bible, like the King James or the New King James, where you may remember it's translated as Jesus saying, in my Father's house are many mansions, right? That's what we think of sometimes, and that's why we think he's talking about some future thing. What's interesting is that Greek word that is translated into the English as mansions is the word monet. And "monai" actually means a dwelling place. It means a room. It was a room that oftentimes would be used as a guest room that travelers would use. And in fact, Jesus used the exact same word in the Greek language when when the scripture talks about the room in which the disciples had met during the Last Supper. It's the same word. Jesus didn't meet with his disciples. He didn't say, go prepare a mansion for me for the Last Supper. He said, go prepare a room. And so he used that same word. So monai is also the word that Jesus would use a little bit later in this chapter in verse 23 when Jesus said this to the disciples. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And we, my father and I, we will come to him and make our what? Mone, our home, our dwelling in him. Not a mansion, but a dwelling. And it's a very important distinction because we need to understand that on that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, he came to accomplish something for us. He did not come just to make sure when we go to heaven one day that we have a mansion. That's not the main reason that he came. He came because of something that he needed to accomplish for us. In fact, when I get to heaven, I can promise you, whether it's there or not, a mansion is the last thing that's going to be on my mind. What Jesus was saying to his disciples was this. You cannot dwell with the Father right now, but that is why I've come. And right now, I'm going to go away from you just for a little while, and I'm going to take care of some things in order that you might have the same relationship with the Father that I have with the Father. Now, in verse 25, he says this, These things I have spoken to you when? While I'm still with you, okay? I want you to get these things before I leave. And then he promises them two things. Verse 26 The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will inspire you to remember every word that I have told you. And then Jesus repeats what he said to the disciples in the first couple of verses of John 14. He says, Peace I leave you. Now get this My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And he says again, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then he says in verse 28, remember what I have told you, that I must go away, but I promise to come back to you. Now, where did he say that? He said that in verses 1 to 3. He said he was going away for a short time, and then he's going to come back, right? We continue to read. So if you truly love me, you will be glad for me. In other words, the fact that I'm going away, you won't be upset with me, you'll be happy for me if you really love me because you know this is something I must do. Since I am returning where? To my Father who is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Okay, so to summarize once again, Jesus says, I'm going away but I am coming back. And I've told you this before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. Not just believe in this sense, oh, it happened. Well, I believe it happened because I just saw it. No, Jesus is saying, I've told you these things before. So when things begin to unravel, you may have a faith to stand through it while I'm gone until I come back. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, I'm leaving you for a short while. But don't be troubled, don't be overwhelmed. I'm telling you, I'm coming back, right? It's kind of like when you have a little child, you know, and you want to go to the mall, or you get a babysitter, and and, no, mommy, I want to go with you, what do you say? I'm coming back, right? My parents would always say that, I'm coming back. They moved 27 times. They really did. My parents moved 27 different homes growing up. I found them every single time. (laughs) But when parents go away, what do we say? We say to our children, don't worry, I'm coming back. I'm not leaving you just for a little while and I'll be back. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to them. So he's not talking about his second coming. He's talking about what was going to happen that weekend because there were two things that Jesus promised he was going to bring back with him that weekend when he appeared to them again. And he said, this: this, I'm going to bring you a peace that you've never known before that you can't find in this world And I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit with me when I come back. Now, the question is, when was the Holy Spirit given to us, the church? Was the Holy Spirit something that is yet to come when Jesus comes again? Or did the Holy Spirit come after Jesus ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit and he's with us now, right? The Holy Spirit came after the resurrection. So that's very important to to kind of get our minds around. So Jesus was warning the disciples that some things are about to happen that are going to shake their faith. And it's going to so shake their faith that when he is gone, they're going to think, it's over. Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. Everything we dreamed, everything we thought he was going to do, it's gone. It's over. And that's why the Bible tells that they actually returned to their own job, old jobs after Jesus died. They thought everything was over. And so that's why Jesus tells them before it happens that he's going to be gone for a short time so that while he is gone... It's only a few days that they would stay strong. And it's very important for us to understand, it's important for us to understand what Jesus accomplished on that first resurrection Sunday because it gives us confidence and faith on this resurrection Sunday. Now, where did Jesus tell the disciples that he was going? Do you remember? That's right. To my Father. I'm going to my Father. John 16, verse 16, he said this, Soon you won't see me any longer. But then, after a while, you will see me. And another translation is these words. You will see me in a new way. What's interesting in the Greek language, the, Greek, uh, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, translated into English and obviously many other languages around the world. And so oftentimes in the Greek language, just like the French language, you might have a word, but you can say it in English a couple different ways. You can maybe, you know, it, it's such a full word that you could say it different ways. Well, this word see is actually in the Greek language translated, two different words in the Greek language, but is translated as S-E-E in both cases. What Jesus was saying was this. Listen guys, in a short while, he was talking about his crucifixion. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried. You're not gonna see me for a little while. Visibly you won't see me, I'm in the tomb. But he says, I'm gonna rise from the dead. And the next time that you see me, you're gonna see me in a new way. You're not just gonna visibly see me, you're gonna see me in my resurrection body. You're going to see me in a brand new way. Now, the disciples asked each other what that could possibly mean. And so Jesus explains to them in verse 20. Let me make it quite clear. You will weep and be overcome with grief over what has happened to me. We know that happened on Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. Jesus said the unbelieving world will be happy. They'll think they finally got rid of me. Everything's back to normal. While you will be filled with sorrow. But know this. Your sadness will return, will turn into joy when you see me again. So, is Jesus saying, Listen, I know you're going to be devastated, but maybe 2,000 years or more later, I'm coming again and you'll be happy. Is that what he meant? No. No, no. I'm just leaving for a little while this weekend. You're going to be sad. You're going to think it's all over. But your sorrow is going to be turned to joy because you're going to see me again this weekend. So, don't get all upset. I am coming back. And that happened, of course, at the resurrection. So what I want to get at this morning is what exactly happened on that Resurrection Sunday. What did Jesus accomplish? What took place on that first Easter weekend? And we live in the dynamic of that today and every single day. In John chapter 20, verse 1, we read this. Now on the first day of the week, what day is that? It's Sunday. I know we all kind of think it's Monday, but on, the, on our calendar, Sunday is actually the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. She came in the morning. While it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So I'll just jump ahead nine verses. Mary sees that. She runs back to town to tell the disciples what she had seen and that Jesus wasn't there. Peter and John, they're the first ones to just run to the tomb. They get into the tomb, see that the body is no longer there. Jesus is not there. The stone's been rolled away. They run back into town to tell the other disciples and Mary is still there at the tomb. Verse 11, Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head, one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying, they asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her. But she did not realize that it was him. Now you may ask, how in the world did Mary not know it was Jesus? She had traveled with him every single day for two and a half years. Well, I think there's a couple things happening here. I'm just speculating, but I believe part of it was the fact that though she had traveled with Jesus, in fact, Mary was the one who helped take Jesus' tomb off the cross and prepare it for burial so she would have seen his broken, bleeding body. And, and so not only did she walk with Jesus in his natural form for a couple of years and see him on the cross... Now she sees Jesus standing there, but I believe what she was seeing was what Jesus had said to the disciples earlier. You will see me again, but you'll see me in a new way. She saw the resurrected Jesus. She saw this person that just just caught her off guard. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener, the one who takes care of the, of the tomb. Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, tell me, and I will go in. and Jesus cuts her off. He says, Mary, turning to face him, she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me right now, for I have not ascended to my God, my Father. And he's not only my Father and my God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to the brothers and tell them what I've told you that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Okay, where did Jesus tell the disciples he was going? I'm going to the Father. Why? Because they did not yet know him. They didn't know him like Jesus knew him. They didn't have that intimacy that Jesus had, even though they wanted to have that. Remember at one time, it was the disciples who asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They weren't just looking for a new mechanical prayer to go through to add to their long list of memorized prayers. What were they saying? Jesus, teach us how we can know God like you know God. Teach us how we communicate with him like you do you. You know him like a father and a son. We just kind of know him in a religious way. Jesus said, I'm going to go take care of that. He said, go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father. And to what? Your father. To my God and to your God. Jesus was ascending now this is not the same ascension that would take place 40 days later we know that 40 days later Jesus ascended before hundreds of witnesses back to the father where he stayed continued his ministry in heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit so that was still to come but there was an ascension that took place on that Easter weekend and that ascension happened in the morning It happened in the morning after Jesus had spoken to Mary. Remember, it was very early when she went to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. Then he appears to her, so we know it's in the morning. Then John tells us in verse 19, On the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, right? It was the first day of the week when Mary came to the tomb. It was Sunday morning. On the evening of that same Sunday, the doors being blocked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Okay, so let's get a reminder on this. Jesus appears to Mary Sunday morning. And then he appears to the disciples in the room where they were hiding. He kind of walks through the wall. He just appears to them that same day, but in the evening. So the question is, where was Jesus all afternoon? With the Father. Okay? Okay. In the morning with Mary, Mary, don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended. I've got some things to do. You can't touch this resurrected body yet. In the evening, he comes back to the disciples, having accomplished what he went to accomplish. In fact, what does he say to the disciples? Hey, you can touch me now. I've ascended to the Father. I've taken care of what i came to do. Thomas, go ahead. Poke, feel your weight, wounds, sword. You know it's me. Go ahead and touch. In the afternoon, of course, he was doing business with the Father. Now, what did Jesus tell the disciples When he came back, what was he going to bring with him? Told Mary, I'm ascending to the Father. I'm coming back that night. What did he bring with him? He said, I'll bring peace that the world can't give, and I'll bring the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit until that time. They couldn't are you seeing the chronology here are you seeing the order just say yes I'll get through it faster (laughs) don't make me explain this again okay we're all on the same page okay so here we go so Jesus tells the disciples at the beginning before Good Friday ever happened he tells them don't be overwhelmed by the events that are going to take place he knew they were going to fall away but he knew the reason they were going to fall away was not because they weren't sincere Peter meant it when he said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will die with you. He meant that. But you see, what Jesus knew, what the disciples didn't know, is they didn't know God like Jesus knew him. They didn't have the intimacy and the peace and the knowledge, like Bridget shared. They were good people, religious people, and they followed the Jewish tradition. They believed in the coming Messiah, but they never encountered the living God. They never knew him intimately. He didn't dwell in them yet. Jesus had walked in that intimacy his whole life. And Jesus said, the reason I'm going away is because when I come back, what I have, you're going to have. That's what I'm going to do for you. That's why I've came, but I've got to take care of a couple things. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go away for a little while to take care of this so that you can actually dwell with the Father like I do. Not someday in heaven, but today here. He said, so that where I am, you may be also again, Jesus is not talking about so that you may be in heaven with me. In the context of what he did that weekend, now we know we're going to be in heaven one day with Jesus. Wherever wherever Jesus is, that's heaven. So whether heaven's going to be here on earth in the future, whatever, I'm not worried about that. It's wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going to be. But what Jesus was saying to the disciple is this, so that where I am, you may be also. What does he mean? He's saying, you know where I am, guys? I'm in the Father. And the Father's in me that's where i want you to be i don't want you to have dead dry religion i don't want you saying these mechanical empty prayers i want you to know the father is in you he's as close as that you can talk to him you can worship him you can sense his presence he can change your life his word can shape your life and give you hope and truth right here right now not in heaven someday right now the father is in me i'm in him and you're going to have that same relationship so the question is Why did Jesus have to go away for a little while? Very simply, he said, so that my Father can become your Father and my God can become your God. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, that he wants them to have the same peace and the same Holy Spirit. Why? Because just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You see? That's why Jesus said the same things that I've done, you're going to do. I love what Bridget was sharing because I know Bridget a little bit. I know a little bit of her testimony. uh, Bridget's been walking this last year through the online school of the supernatural. Love says go. And Bridget isn't just somebody whom the Lord has set free. And now she's, oh, good, now I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to stay here, go to church on Sunday and try to be a good person. No, everywhere she goes, she's talking about Jesus. And she's not just talking about Jesus. She's laying hands upon the sick and seeing them healed. She's laying hands upon people that are in bondage and darkness. And she's bringing the power and the presence of the love of Jesus into their lives. Because that's what Jesus said I've come to do. That's what I want to happen in you. Now, during the time that Jesus was gone, I won't, I won't get into great detail here. You can read it yourself, Ephesians chapter 4. But I just want to fill in a couple of things that happened that maybe you've not heard about before. It's in the Bible. But maybe you've also forgotten. During the time that Jesus was gone, the Bible tells us that he was busy doing some stuff. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9 says that before Jesus ascended to the Father on Easter Sunday that Jesus first, after he died on the cross, drew his last breath, though his body was dead, his spirit, just like all of us, is still very much alive. It's like Jesus gave up his spirit, and then, okay, let's get to work. So outside, everybody's mourning, he's dead, but he's very much alive in the spirit realm. And before he ascends to the Father, the Bible tells us, he descended into the lower regions of the earth. He descended into the lower regions where the Bible says before Jesus came, When people died, they either went to hell, which is called Hades because they rejected God, or the righteous who died with their faith in God and the one-day coming Messiah, they went to a place called paradise or Sheol. So you had these holding places until Jesus comes. Now those who die without Christ are separated from God for eternity, and judgment is coming down the road. But for those who die with their faith in Christ, they were in paradise and they were just waiting for the Messiah to come. So that they could finally go to heaven now just a real quick lesson here when you read your bible you realize that when a person died in the old testament before jesus came they couldn't go to heaven they went to paradise because the reason was their sin which separates us from god their sin could be covered remember the sacrificial system they would sacrifice an animal the the blood of an animal because in doing that it wasn't because god liked seeing animal sacrifices what was happening was when they sacrificed an animal, they were saying, God, we put our faith in you that one day you are going to send someone who will die in our place. We won't have to sacrifice any, any, animals anymore. But the fact that the animal bled and died meant that some other being took the punishment for their sin so that they could be forgiven. That's what it was all about. And it pointed to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who one day, the Lamb of God, would give his life for us. So that rather than us having to die in our sin and kind of try to earn our way to heaven instead of us dying in our sin and having to pay for our sin which means being separated from god forever jesus said i will die in your place i will take your punishment on me that's why jesus lived a sinless life so he could offer his life in my place and when he did that he said if you will put your trust in me and what i have done for you i will apply the benefits of my death to you and your sins be washed away. So before Jesus came, and before he died on the cross for us and rose again, if you believed in God and lived for God, when you died, you went to paradise, and your sins were covered, but they could not be cleansed. They could not be eradicated from your life. They was still there, but you were covered by the blood. You were covered by faith. When Jesus came, he offered up his blood, and once and for all, he was able to completely Wash away your sin. The old song we used to sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why all the religion in the world will not wash away your sin. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic or Lutheran or Anglican. It does not matter because none of those churches, none of those religions, none of those systems died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. And that's why... All of us who know Jesus, it doesn't matter what church we go to, we are all brothers and sisters if we have placed our faith in Jesus. That's why Bridget said in the past, she didn't have any assurance at all that she knew God. She knew about God. A lot of us know about God. But you see, when you know him and your sins have been forgiven, you know that you know. The old theological statement, how do you know in my knower? I just know in my knower that I know him. And he begins to shape and change your life. So the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that immediately he descended into the lower regions of the earth. And when he was there, he took back from the devil the power the devil had over mankind. And then Jesus ascended to heaven on the morning of the third day where he presented his blood. Hebrews says in chapter 9 that just as there was a temple in the Old Testament, there's a heavenly temple. And Jesus went into that heavenly temple in the Holy of Holies and he brought a presentation of his blood that completely paid for our sin, that, that wiped away the wrath of God against all who receive him and enabled us to become sons and daughters of God. That's what he did in the afternoon. Talk about a busy day. That's what he did all afternoon. And then he came back in the evening and he appeared to his followers. But before Jesus ascended to heaven with all of those Old Testament saints that were waiting for him in paradise, he stopped to talk to Mary. Now, this is going to wreck your mind, okay? But it's biblical. Read it yourself, okay? When Jesus ascended, now it's Sunday morning, so he's had like Friday night, Saturday, do all this stuff. Sunday morning, he's on his way back to heaven to the Father with all of the saints in the Old Testament that are waiting to go to heaven. They are with him. And you're saying, well, I don't see them because Jesus is in the garden alone talking to Mary. Where were all the saints? I'll tell you where all the saints were. The Bible says they were taking a tour of Jerusalem. That's what they were doing. You say, Pastor, you've lost it. No, it's in the scripture. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 27. You may not be familiar with this, or maybe you haven't read it for a long time. At that moment, Matthew writes, when Jesus died, the veil in the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple, it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook violently. Rocks were split apart. And what happened? And graves were opened. Then many of the holy ones who had died were brought back to life and came out of their graves. They weren't zombies. Okay? They weren't running around Jerusalem eating people. They were, they were people like you and me with their resurrected bodies that were now able to go into the presence of God because their sin was washed away. They were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And they were able to go into the presence of God. And then verse 53, and when? After Jesus' resurrection, they were plainly seen by many people walking in Jerusalem. Now, when the Roman military officer and his soldiers who did the crucifixion, when they witnessed what was happening and felt the powerful earthquake, they were extremely terrified. And what did they say? Read it with me. There is no doubt this man was the Son of God. Friends, there was absolutely no doubt on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. People in that town, there were undeniable evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible goes on later to say that he appeared to people for 40 days. Before he finally ascended one last time into heaven what jesus accomplished on that resurrection weekend and for many weeks to follow he wanted to leave no doubt whatsoever in all of jerusalem and the surrounding areas that what he had preached was true that what he said would happen was happened that the price has been paid his blood has been shed his offering to the father has been accepted by the proof of his resurrection from the dead and now he says all the authority that i have Now I give you that authority. Now you go in my name. And wherever you see the powers of darkness at work, you have the authority now to confront the enemy, to overthrow his strongholds. That's what it means to be a Christian, by the way. (laughs) Right? It's not about going to church. It's about taking church to the world. It's about being the church. It's about showing people that Jesus is real. He's not a religion. He's not rules. We have a relationship that I love Him, and you can love Him too, and you can know Him too. I believe Psalm twenty-four, verse seven, is a description of what happened when Jesus finally arrived at the gates of heaven with all those resurrected saints. The psalmist said, "This lift up your heads, O you gates." Imagine the, the walls of heaven, of the city of, of Jeru- the heavenly uh, the heavenly city. Jesus approaches. And the, and the saints cry out, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be opened up. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, you everlasting doors. For the King of glory shall come in. And the angelic protectors, they shout back, Who is this King of glory? I believe even they were kind of amazed in the sense that, that the Jesus who had left, the man they had seen, and he comes back. They see this just transformed God, Jesus himself, leading all these people. They say, Who is this King of glory? They say, It's the Lord. He is the king of glory, the Lord, strong in battle. What's he talking about? He has just vanquished the enemy on resurrection weekend. He has gone down into the gates of hell itself. He's taken back the power of lying and the power of of, of death and of hell and of fear. Everything the devil uses to manipulate mankind. He's taken it back from him. He says, you've got no power anymore. And he takes all of the saints and he says, hey, we're going to heaven now. You've been waiting a long time and it's not been in vain. I'm taking you back. But listen, before we get there, I've got to make a pit stop, gotta to talk to Mary, gotta get into these thick hedges of the disciples. I'm okay before we go back to heaven. And so I'm gonna take you there. But listen, while I'm talking to Mary, look, go buy something. <laughs> go go see your family. You know, go go talk to your youngins. Can you imagine people actually saw their loved ones? Anyways, I can't even imagine that, but the scripture says it happened. John 14:30, I'm winding down. Jesus said to his disciples, I won't speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this dark world is coming. Oh, I love the scripture. But he has no power over me, for he has nothing to use against me. And then in John 12, 31, Jesus said, from this moment on, not the second coming, but the resurrection, from this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. For the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown. From this moment on, Jesus is not saying one day in the future. No, it's already happened. Jesus says, listen, people, I want you to understand, Satan has been overthrown now. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, if Satan's been overthrown, then why do we still see so much evil? Why do we still see hatred and envy and wars and all the things we see in the media? For one reason, it's because people still reject Jesus. People still want to live life on their own terms. They want to keep the small-mindedness. They want to keep their selfishness. They want to keep control of their life because they really don't believe that Jesus has come to give them life in all of its abundance. But wherever people surrender their lives to King Jesus, he doesn't make you religious. He comes to live within you. And you begin to love like you've never loved before. Your marriage begins to work in ways that could never have worked before. You begin to see the Holy Spirit flow through you and address things in your life like selfishness and pride and greed and lust and addictions, whatever it may be. And he says, I've come to set you free. And when he sets you free, then the chain reaction begins, right? He begins to set your family free. He sets people free in your workplace. And what happens? One by one by one by one, a life, a family, a workplace, a society begins to change. For the good, because people understand who they are in Christ, that the devil no longer has authority over them. uh, John said in 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God was revealed was what? To destroy the works of the devil. I love the scripture in Colossians 2. Paul writes, Jesus made a spectacle publicly of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon, and all the spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. That's not something that's going to happen in the future, friends. Jesus did this 2,000 years ago. And that's why it's so important for us to understand what Easter is really all about because Satan has been lying to you all the time. Satan tells you that things are never going to change. And yet Jesus said 2,000 years ago, everything in this world has changed. The ruler of this dark world has been overthrown. As the musicians come, we wind down this morning. Friends, Satan wants you to believe that he still has power over you. Whether you're a Christian or not here today, he wants you to believe. Oh, someday in the sweet by and by, it'll all change. But for now, we just kind of have to grin and bear it. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus said, I've come, and because I've come, I've changed everything. I've taken the power back from the enemy, and now I've given it to you. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Now you go in my name, and wherever you see the works of darkness wear their ugly head, you confront them, and you overthrow them. Freely, you have received the power of the kingdom. Now freely you go and release it to others. Jesus said, I'm going to where? To the Father. Why? So that my Father can be your Father and my God can be your God. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says that God the Father instantly frees you from the powers of darkness and he brings you into the kingdom of his own dear son. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago. And I can tell you here this morning, not as a pastor, not as a religious person, I can tell you as a child of my Heavenly Father that Jesus Christ came to set you free. You don't have to be a slave to anything anymore. You don't have to be in bondage to fear. You don't have to be in bondage to depression. You don't have to be in bondage to loneliness or emptiness or addiction, whatever it may be. Not only will Jesus set you free, but He will give you the power to begin to live way that he's intended you to live from day one, that you begin to share that freedom and that love and that joy and that hope with others, and you begin to experience the real joy of seeing God use you in ways that you never imagined because he begins to change lives through you, one life at a time, one conversation at a time, one prayer at a time. But if you want that kind of freedom, then you have to stop running your own life. And you have to put your trust in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you never darken these doors again. It matters that we'd love to see you. But your salvation doesn't hinge on it. You're not going to heaven because you attend this church. You're not going to heaven because you attend any church. You're going to heaven, and you're going to experience heaven on earth because you have trusted Jesus. You have said, Jesus, I understand what you came to do on that Easter Sunday morning. Jesus, I don't want religion anymore because I realize religion has no power to change me. It's just rules. It's just prayers. It's just things I mechanically repeat. But I know I don't know you. I need you. And once I meet you, then you can tell me what church you want me to go to. (laughs) That's Secondary. But I need to know that I know you. I need that peace. I need my sins washed away. I need you to change my life by your power. Not make me religious, but make me more like you. The Lord will show you the things that you need to drop, the things you need to grow and the new things He wants you to experience. That Jesus will show you all that kind of stuff. But it's got to start with a relationship with Him. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes for a moment as we prepare to close in prayer. And ministry team, I'm going to ask you to get ready to come in just a moment. I'm not going to prolong this service, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't know Him in the way that Bridget shared, I want to give you that opportunity. And again, you're not joining a church. You're not leaving your other church. It's not about that. It's just whether or not you know that you have peace and the Holy Spirit, the two things Jesus came to bring. Now, I'm going to begin on the section on the left. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But just so you know, I'm look in your direction. If you're sitting on your, in the section that is left to you, looking at me on the left side, and you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I know that I don't know Jesus. I may even go to church, but I know I don't know him. I want what you're talking about to be reality to me. I want to ask you this morning, if you just want to open your heart to receive the peace of Jesus, knowing that you know him and you know his Father, and receive the Holy Spirit. And if that's your desire, just quickly, just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. I know that I don't know Jesus, and I want to know him this morning. Is there anybody at all in this section, in the balcony or down below, anybody at all? I want to pray with you this morning. I want to know Jesus. How about moving to the middle section here this morning? Is there anybody who would say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him in the way you talked about? Just slip your hand up quickly. We're not going to keep you. We just want to give you the opportunity before you leave. Anyone at all this morning? Say, I want to know Jesus this morning. And how about in the section of the right side here? I just don't want to miss anybody in case. Just go ahead real quickly. Just lift your hand. Yes, raise your hand. Anybody else? just catch my eye and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to know Jesus Christ. Yes. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you.
1: It's the most important decision you'll ever make.
0: And He will change your life. Church will. He will. Jesus will change your life.